1 Samuel chapter 2. Thank you for your patience with me. I came back from Disney World with a, uh, some kind of sinus infection. So thanks to Margaret for pumping me full of antibiotics and all sorts of other stuff so that I could, I could even talk today. I, I told, um, I think I told somebody on Wednesday that I sounded like a drunk grizzly bear caught in a trap. <laughs> so today, I sound like a sober grizzly bear caught in a trap. So thank you for your patience uh, with me as I'm getting over this, um, this illness. And thank you for allowing me uh, a time to get away. Uh, Disney World was a blast. It was too much fun. I have lots of stories I think we have something like 200 pictures that we'll show in a slideshow at some point from our trip to Disney World. (coughs) Well, today we're um, looking at this passage of Scripture, um, and I I want you to just uh, remember this. I want to strike fear in your hearts and and terror that we only have four weeks until Christmas. Four weeks. It's almost here, right? It's the time of year that we really... Uh, you, you know you have a lot to do before Christmas, and um, really what tends to happen now is that Thanksgiving, it's you know a few days away, and, and in our culture, in the United States today, Thanksgiving is getting second billing as a holiday. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, of course, Halloween is getting to be more and more prevalent in our culture, um, and you know you have Halloween and then Thanksgiving, and, and you kind of forget about that. I think I saw this year in August, stores started putting out their Christmas decorations. And I want to hold on as long as I can. I don't want to put out the Christmas decorations. And Amy's been trying to do it since July. And I'm like, no, we got to wait. We have to wait. Um, but, but that's the reality. Thanksgiving kind of gets second billing as a holiday. Uh, but for Christians, for people who um, have experienced the grace and the mercy of God through uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be a people who, in our attitude in our disposition, and even in our lifestyle, we should be a thankful people. Um, it, it shouldn't just be one day out of the year, but it should spill over into everything that we do, that we are a thankful uh, people. Now, having said that, I'm going to point you to the text, realizing that this is a strange text for a Thanksgiving sermon. Uh, because it's all about the coming judgment of God upon one family in particular, and I recognize it's it's a weird, um, it, it's a weird place to look for Thanksgiving, and yet I think even in the midst of this passage, we have reasons to be thankful as God's people, uh, and uh, so we're going to see here. Um, I, I think those reasons for why we're going to be thankful. Let me point you to the text. This is again First Samuel, chapter two, verses twenty-seven. Uh, through 36. 1 Samuel chapter 2, 27 through 36. Hear God's good and kind word as he calls us to worship, or calls us to hear from him. And there came a man of God to Eli, and he said to him, Thus, says the, thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? To go up to my altar to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifice and my offerings? Then I commanded, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourself on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise That your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. 
For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me, I shall lightly esteem. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed upon Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart. And all of his descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that, they sh- and this that shall come upon your, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and is in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places, that I might eat a morsel of bread. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help in understanding this passage. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word. I pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to show us uh, how we can be a people who are thankful, uh, even in the midst of judgment. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people uh, who would love the Lord Jesus Christ, who would love and delight in him, and who would honor you above all else. I pray that you would help us to see that in this word from you today. In Christ's name. Well, I want to see this. Uh, I want you to see this uh, from this passage in three ways: Thanksgiving and judgment. Uh, first of all, we see a reminder of Yahweh's grace in verses twenty-seven through twenty-eight. Uh, secondly, we're going to see the reality of Eli's sin in verse twenty-nine, and then thirdly, we're going to see the revelation of Yahweh's plan in verses thirty to thirty-six. So, reminder, reality, revelation. Reminder, reality, revelation. First of all, the reminder of Yahweh's grace in verses twenty-seven. And 28, notice first who comes to Eli. We've been looking at this man, Eli, uh, for a few weeks now. Uh, he's not the best high priest that there ever was. We, we know that his children are pretty nasty and terrible people, that Eli himself is a fairly ineffective leader, and yet he comes from a house uh, that has a fairly significant uh, history in the nation of Israel. His grandfather, great-great-great-great-grandfather, was Aaron, Uh, who was the first great high priest of the Israelites. And Eli finds himself in this house with a lot of significance. Uh, His name carries a lot of weight, and he is a very important person. And yet, look how verse 27 starts. There came a man of God to uh, Eli and said to him, A man of God, what's his name? We don't know his name. All this while, God has been at work to raise up a people for himself outside of the normal means of doing that. So if there, was a, if there were a people who were despairing in Israel in the midst of all the mess and the trials that were going on and, the, and the, the really the mess of the, of the worship at the temple or the tabernacle at this time, uh, we see here uh, that God in his goodness has been raising up other people, nameless people. Um, and that's good news for you and me, that this man goes to a man with a name and he tells him to pronounce a judgment upon Eli. Notice the way that God oftentimes operates. We saw this already in 1 Samuel chapter 2 with Hannah's uh, prayer or Hannah's song 
What does God tend to do? He tends to take those who are lowly to shame and despise the ones that are great and mighty. And here the mighty Eli, the one with the name, is going to be despised and laid down by a man without a name. How is he known? He is known as a man of God first, and then he's also known by the word that he gives. It's not even his own word. Look again at verse 27. Thus the Lord has said. He isn't saying, I've said this to you, Eli. He says, I am known because the Lord has said this. So first of all, we see here a nameless man versus a named man. Uh, It's an opportunity for us to be thankful that God would look upon the lowly people in this world. I know that you you may not like to think of yourself as lowly. You may like to think of yourself as being great. Maybe you like your last name and you're very proud of your last name. Uh, But let me just remind you that God tends to take people who are proud and he tends to humble them. And he tends to take people who are humble and he makes them proud. That's the way that God operates. And here a man with no name is able to work for God and showing forth God's God's, uh, judgment on a man who was proud in his own name. It's an opportunity for those of us who are lowly who are of nothing in the eyes of this world, to be thankful to a God who does this. Um, This is the story of the scriptures, and it's the one that you can find all throughout, that God takes the smallest, the littlest. He takes the short people. Thank God he does that. And he makes all the tall people seem uh, silly in comparison, and I, and I, I say that all the time. But that's the normal way that God does it. If you're proud in yourself, God has a way of making you humble. And, lo- and raising those who were humble to uh, points of height. That's the first thing I want you to see. What does the man say? Very quickly, I want you to see what the man says to Eli. He reminds him of God's grace. Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? Uh, I gave... To the house of your father, all of my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. So we see here a reminder of God's grace to Eli and to his family. So the backdrop of um, uh, this is kind of the backdrop of of what of God's judgment that's going to come, because He asked Eli, "When did you first experience God's grace? When did your family first experience God's grace?" Uh, And he reminds Eli that he didn't experience that grace and doesn't have that grace because of anything that Eli had done. He reminds him that God first revealed himself to Aaron in Egypt, way back in the Exodus. In the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, God is saying, I showed my grace to your family way back then, long before you were born. And I revealed myself to them. And what did I do? Well, I saved you and your people. Not because you were great, but because I was great for you. So he reminds Eli of his salvation. And secondly, he says, but not only that, but Eli, you need to remember that I gave access to your family that I did not. He said, I gave you access to me that no one else had. No one else in all of Egypt, I'm sorry, in all of Israel had the right to come before me, to bear the sacrifices, to do all the things. You had a special place in all of Israel. And so he's reminding not just uh, Eli of his salvation, although he does that, but also that he had chosen his family to have a special position in all of Israel. 
And then he goes on from there and he says, and don't, don't, it's not just that special relationship, but it's also the fact that I gave you my very own food. Um, that's what he says. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings. The offerings were the food that the priests weren't meant to live off of. The priests did not have land of their own. They didn't have an ability to make their own wealth by the land that they had. All they had was what God had given them by the sacrifices that were theirs, or the sacrifices at the temple and of the religious worship. And God is reminding Eli that he gave to them everything that the people had given to God. So the offerings that were theirs were only theirs because God had given them to Eli. So that's the backdrop, the reminder of God's grace. He gave salvation, he gave a special relationship, and he gave material possessions to Eli, to his family. Because God had done all of those things for him, you would expect for Eli then to be thankful to God. And yet we know that Eli was not thankful to God. We'll get to that in a second. But you see these three reminders here out of this text that God had saved Eli that God had given him a special relationship and material possessions. What about you? What has God given to you? Has he saved you? Has he had you look at the darkness, at the blackness of the sin that resides in your heart? Has he called you from that darkness to the light of his grace through the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ? Has he saved you from his very wrath and the hell, the fire of hell, then can you not be thankful? Are you not thankful for that? Secondly, hasn't he promised his people a special relationship by giving us his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us? Do we not always have God's presence with us? And then thirdly, has he not given you material possessions? Do you not have things? And some of you might complain that you don't have enough things, but, well, Truthfully, how much is enough for you to finally recognize that everything that you have only comes because the Lord has given it to you? God has given us stuff, and all of us live, at least I think we do, we live in the United States, uh, the most materially uh, blessed nation that has ever existed. All of us, as poor as some of you might be, all of us are wealthier than the wealthiest person, than most of the wealthy people in the rest of the world. We have these things, and it's not because we're so great, but it's because God has given them to us. What does that do to our heart? Does it make you thankful? Does it make you want to be a thankful person? So are you grateful? Does your life show it? Um, That's a reminder to us, God's grace here. As we see it, reminded, as Eli is reminded of it, we're reminded of it as well. And it's an opportunity for us to reflect and to think and to ask, am I thankful? Am I grateful to God for all that he's done for me? That's the first thing we see here, that before Yahweh pronounces judgment upon Eli, he gives a reminder of everything that he has done for Eli. And then secondly, you get the reality of Eli's sin in verse 29. The reality of Eli's sin. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? So first of all, he began with a reminder of his grace and now he goes in to the real problem that Eli has. The backdrop, the backdrop is the light of God's grace. The light of God's grace. 
versus the darkness of Eli's sin. I remember being a teenager um, and I was somebody that had, I had pretty good skin. I didn't have acne or anything like that. And I remember at various times I would wake up in in the morning getting ready for school and I would go look in the mirror and I would see that I would have a pimple on my face, on my fairly clear skin and I would have one pimple on my face. And what I would do is I would get very self-conscious and I would try everything in my power as a teenager to hide that pimple. Because I didn't have bad skin, that one pimple really stood out. Now, I had one really good friend who had terrible acne. It's kind of acne that really caused a lot of pain. And he, he went to doctors and dermatologists and tried to get all of those things taken care of. Um, and it just caused a lot of problem for him. But his face was covered with pimples. And I remember showing up on, on one particular morning with this pimple on my, I had one right on my nose. And it was a big, right red pimple. And he said, well, hey, you know, here's my friend John with this acne. And he goes, look at that pimple on Kelly's face. And I'm like, but look at the pimples on your face, right? Well, his face was covered with it. And the backdrop, you couldn't distinguish them. But on my face, you could. Well, we see something of that here. God shows his light, how much he had saved and done for Eli. And in the backdrop of that light, this darkness looks really terrible. What had Eli done? What did he do to deserve the judgment that's going to come? Um, Well, first of all, we're told that he scorns God's sacrifices. Look at verse 29. Um, Why then do you scorn his sacrifices? Some of you in your Bible, you're going to have a little uh, number right next to that word scorn. Some of your translations might say it a little bit different. And it's going to say something like kick at. Um, The word that's used there is the word that literally means Why do you kick at my sacrifices? Well, what does that mean to kick at? What does it mean to do that? Well, this is the imagery of a mule or a donkey that is kicking at its owner whenever it's bringing its food, whenever it's being brought provision, and the donkey gets so agitated that it kicks at, it kicks at its owner. And so God is saying there and comparing Eli and what Eli does to a donkey. Right? None of us want to be compared to a donkey. Hopefully, some of you are pretty stubborn mules out there. But, but none of us like to be compared uh, to a donkey. And here God is saying, you're just like a stubborn animal. You kick at my sacrifices. What did the sacrifices mean? The sacrifices were not a means to be right with God, but they were a reminder that the only way to be right with God was for the sacrifice of someone else. Someone else to give up their life for yours. Because Eli scorned or kicked at or abused the sacrifices of God, he was not then preaching the grace of God to his people. He scorned the very grace of God, the mercy of God to his people. That's the first thing he did. Secondly, we see here, and this is very important for us, um, look there, he says, and... You honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel. So first of all, he kicks at the sacrifices of God. And secondly, what does he do? He honors his sons. He glorifies. The word there for honor is the word uh, from the Hebrew kaboth. It's one of my favorite words from the Hebrew language. And it just means heaviness. It means weightiness. Whenever we talk about the glory of God from the Old Testament especially, it's barring this image of God and his weightiness and his heaviness 
in his greatness. The heaviest thing in the room is the greatest thing in the room. If a heavy boulder would fall on me right now, it would crush me. Why? Because it's heavier than me. So things that are heavy have more weight. They have more significance. And that's what we see here. That what, what is Eli doing? He is scorning the sacrifices and giving more weight to his sons than to God. So what are we being told here? Well, we're being told that Eli actually worshipped his sons over worshipping God. That's what it means to give glory. It simply means to worship. Now put that in your head. He worshipped his sons. You and I look at that and we say, well, that, how silly is that to worship your sons? We would never do anything like that. But the reality is that our hearts are constantly going after and worshiping the things of this world. Whenever Amy and I were in Disney World, we rode a ride called um, uh, Mission Space. And this ride is terrible. It's a, it's a horrible, horrible ride that's supposed to simulate NASA pilots being taken into space. And it's all the training that NASA pilots go through, or not all of it, but some of it. And we didn't know it at the time, but what this thing does is you sit down in it, and it, it simulates you going from zero to 6,000 miles per hour in four seconds. And how do they do it? They, they spin you as fast as they can. And then they simulate you going into anti-gravity, no gravity. And how do they do that? Well, as you're spinning at 6,000 miles per hour, whatever it is, they reverse it immediately, and you are reversed. And all the while, you have a screen in front of you that's... Um, that's telling you you're going to the moon and then you're being slung, slingshot around the moon and all of these things and then you're going to Mars and you're just spinning, spinning, spinning. Well, before we got onto this ride, if we would have known, we thought we wouldn't do it. Well, we did know. Because 15 times before we got onto the ride, they told us this ride causes motion sickness. This ride causes motion sickness. We had human beings looking at us in the face saying, this ride will cause motion sickness. Maybe you shouldn't ride. And we thought, no, we're okay. We're okay. We had other people. We had screens with people on it saying, this ride causes motion sickness. Don't get on it if you're susceptible to getting it. And we thought, we'll be okay. And then the very last thing, we stood before a bright orange neon sign that flashed, warning, this ride causes motion sickness. And we thought, well, we should probably not ride the ride, but we did it anyway, okay? Okay. All of that to say this text is your big, bright, flashing, orange, neon sign that says watch your heart. Your heart will run after and worship the things of this world over worshiping the one that created this world. What did Eli do? He worshiped his sons. And because of that, he abused the offerings and he actually made himself fat on the offerings that the people were given. We're told later in this story, we're going to get to it in a couple chapters, that when Eli died, he fell over because he was so heavy. He was very fat. All right, there's a lot of things involved with that. What do we learn from this? Because our hearts want to worship the things of this world, we need to be careful. Because what we will do is we will run after various things. Those three things that I point out a lot to you. Family. We run after our family and we attempt to glorify ourselves in our families. And that creates a lot of problems. That's what Eli did. Because he worshipped his sons, he refused to correct them. He did not discipline his sons. And because of that, that led to a lot of problems. Not just for his family, but it led to a lot of problems for the nation of Israel. We also tend to run after our health. 
We tend to run after and care about and worry about our health so much. Um, health is not a, family is not a bad thing. Health isn't a bad thing. But if we make our health the only thing, that causes a lot of problems. And then also one of the things that we tend to run after is our wealth, our, our things. Um, family, health, and wealth, these are all good things that God has given us that we can be content with. However, when we take those things and we make them the most important things in our lives then all sorts of problems come from that, namely that we offend a holy God. Um, I want to very quickly tell you, how can you know if you're worshiping these things in your life? Well, what about family? How can you tell if you're worshiping your family? What what is your heart like whenever you serve your family? All right, Thanksgiving's coming. Thursday's a big day. You're going to have a lot of family there. What is your heart going to be like? As you're there slaving in the kitchen, making sure everything's right, or even before that, you're cleaning up your house to make sure it looks good, what is your heart like? Are you thankful or are you bitter toward your family? Because they don't appreciate everything that you do because you work so hard to make sure it's all nice and they're just going to complain that the gravy's lumpy and the turkey's dry and all of these kinds of things. What is your heart like before even Thanksgiving comes? What about whenever your kids bring home a bad grade? What's your heart like? What about whenever your husband embarrasses you publicly? Because that's going to happen. It's going to happen, right? What is, your, what is your heart like when your wife isn't quite meeting the standard that you think your wife, your wife should meet? Are you thankful? Or are you bitter and resentful? Um, if you find yourself with your family there and you say, well, there's something going on where I can't be thankful for the good thing of my family there's a good chance you're worshiping your family over God. What about your health? Um, are you constantly worried with the way you look? Are you constantly worried with, with the numbers that the doctor tells you? Are you constantly worried with what somebody's perception of you is? There's a good chance that your health is something that has taken the place of God in your heart. What about your wealth? This is a big one, guys. Can you take a day off? Can you unplug? Can you just simply say, you know, it's not up to me to provide for my family, that it's up to God to provide for me. I can't do anything of myself, and I can actually rest and relax and take a day off. All right? Now, I'm saying that, and my wife is here, and she knows how much it is a struggle for me to take a day off. Maybe it is that we put our work over God. What about the money that we get from the work that we do? Can we be generous with that? What do we like whenever somebody asks us for our money? Do we say, this is my money, not your money? Can we be generous with that? Are you a generous person or are you somebody that feels like you must hold on to it so tightly that no one else can infect that or get in that? These are just some opportunities for us to evaluate our hearts. What, is, what are our hearts like? Here we see that Eli glorified his sons and that caused a lot of problems. For you and I, if we do things and worship very generally, things like our family, our health, and our wealth. A lot of things are going to come from that. They're going to, a lot of problems are going to stem from that. But most importantly, we're going to see that it offends a holy God. Very quickly, and I mean this very quickly, I want you to see the revelation of God's plan. I can do this quickly because the next few chapters, we're going to see how all of this unfolds. Um, God is going to bring judgment upon Eli because he worshipped his sons instead of, instead of God. And what's going to happen in verses 30 through 33? 
Eli's family is going to be removed from their high position. Um, And we've already seen this over and over, that God takes those that are high and brings them low. And they're going to get what they deserve. God's justice is going to bring, and they're going to get what they deserve. That's a good news for us. We can be thankful. Have you ever wanted someone to get what they deserve? That's not a bad thing, right? (laughs) Sometimes people really do need to get what they deserve. And here God is saying, because of your sin, because of what you've done, I'm going to give you simply what you deserve. So we see that in verses 30 through 33. And then verse 34, um, God says, this is how you know I'm going to do it. Verse 34, in this... That shall come upon you and your sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. Uh, I want you to get this very clearly in your head. Eli worshipped his sons over Yahweh. Yahweh will have no competitors. The Lord will not allow anything to compete with him for glory. And what does he do? He removes the competitors. Here's the danger for you. If in your life you are worshiping something other than God and He loves you, He will remove those things from you. It's His grace to you. Is it hard? Absolutely. But you and I need to understand that we were made for God. We were made to glorify Him. We were made to love Him. And if there's anything in our lives that compete with him, sometimes in his grace and his mercy, he will remove those things from us. Hard, yes. But it's what we need sometimes to be reminded that there's nothing that will satisfy us more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we also see here the very last thing, that God is going to raise up a faithful priest. And I'll do this very quickly. Verse 35, And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart is in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And whoever... Okay, I'll stop there. Um, God's promise, his revelation to Eli here is that there's going to come one who is a better priest than Eli. Uh, And actually, as the story unfolds, it's a better prophet than Samuel and a better king than David. God is promising here to Eli and to us that someone better is going to come. Who is that better one? Um, Well, see, here's the thing. You and I need a better sacrifice. You and I need a better priest. You and I need someone who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Someone who always glorifies the Father for us. Well, guess what? He gave his son, Jesus Christ. And on the cross, that's what we see. God's gift to his people of himself so that we can have full access to God forever and ever and ever. We see the faithful priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, giving himself as a sacrifice to us. That's part of Yahweh's plan here. This was 3,000 years ago. A thousand years after this, he came and he lived. And 2,000 years later, after that, after he gave his life for us, we can still be thankful for the salvation that is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that do for your heart? We have a full week to be thankful, a great time to be thankful. What are you thankful for? Go back and read Hannah's song in the first part of, uh, of 1 Samuel chapter 2, and you'll see, I thank the Lord for his salvation. Are you thankful? Does your life show it? 
here's the great thing for us. Uh, Jesus was thankful. Um, every month, you know, the first part of the month, we do the Lord's Supper together. Uh, and one of the things that I say is on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and he gave thanks for it. Later on after that, he actually was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he began to suffer. And what did he do? He thanked God. We have a great high priest who always thanked God for us. Can you imagine that? He thanked God in the midst of suffering. What about you? What does your heart do in the midst of suffering? And here's the great thing about it. If we have a Savior who thanked God in the midst of that, and he thanked God for us, can you imagine someone being thankful for you? Well, that's what Jesus Christ did. He thanked the Father for us. What does that do for your heart? What does it do for your heart? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your word today. I pray, Father, that you would make us a thankful people, that we would hear your gospel, that we would delight in it, and that we would be grateful to you, and that our lives would show it. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.